Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. We would also like to acknowledge that we are meeting on Ghana land. They are the traditional custodians of the Adelaide Plains and we pay our respects to all elders past, present, and emerging and just acknowledge uh, that sovereignty was never ceded. No, it was not. No. Always was, always will be. Aboriginal, Aboriginal land. land, absolutely. Yeah. Listeners, today, myself, Millicent Tsar, and my co-host, Ellis Dolan, uh, will be giving a critique to something that tr- truly we've had quite a few people suggest yeah. to us, which is fun. Thank you for suggesting, listeners. Like, Please continue to do so. We like engaging with you. Um, today, we're going to be critiquing a movie... Uh, it was sort of the vehicle movie for Julia Roberts like yeah. to, to come to stardom, I think we've decided. Th- this was like her, her first big break. Mm. Uh, and particularly at the time she was cast, she was like unknown. She'd done like two movies and one of them hadn't even come out yet kind mm. of thing. And then she got nominated for an Oscar for this. Yeah. Because Julia Roberts is so freaking good in Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. Walking down the street. Pretty Woman. The kind we'd like to meet. This gag has been run for too long, else I'm cutting it off at this moment. Um, We're going to be talking today about the 1990 movie starring Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, uh, Pretty Woman. We do want to note that there's a musical of it as well. Today we're specifically going to be talking about the movie, so we're we're leaving it open for a potential episode in the future specifically discussing the musical. Uh, I just want to point out one review of the musical, uh, which... uh, you know, might tell you all you need to know about it. Uh, it um, <laughs> in a review for Vulture, Sarah Holdren expressed sympathy for the show's performers, writing that they were hooked up like defibrillators to a body that, no matter how much energy they pump into it, can't be revived. Oh, well, that's scathing. That is not what you want to hear about that, your musical. That being said, though, you know, rev- I don't think you can ever trust reviews. Not all like the time. Like, it's one person's opinion and, like, you know, something can have be, like, really poorly reviewed and have, like, huge commercial success. Like Beetlejuice, for example. Exactly. Like, critics were so mean to it and, like, and the folks really love well. it. Well, the critics were also not that kind to the 1990 movie that came out. They were quite average, quite average but it was the third highest grossing movie mm. of that year. People loved and flocked to Pretty Women. And... I will not lie to you, Ellis Dolan. I really enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Mm. Yeah. Um, that being said, I feel like we've got a lot to dive into and dig our teeth into with regards to a feminist critique mm-hmm. of it. Um, predominantly because this is a really, um, really commercially successful and like mainstream appealing movie about sex work. Yeah. Which is a topic that doesn't get drawn into the light or at least drawn into the mainstream 
particularly often. And I think a lot of our discussion today is going to be around whether or not the film does more to like add to that stigma or whether it kind of helps destigmatize that. Is this a realistic depiction of the life of a sex worker or is it a glamorized version for Hollywood? I'm going to go ahead and say that there's probably not a lot realistic about it. Yeah. Um that doesn't mean that it's necessarily set it put like putting a, a bad image of sex work on our screens. Mm. Um and I think, you know, when you watch movies, especially rom-coms that are set in the 90s starring Julia Roberts, you sort of take them with a grain of salt <laughs> and go, it's probably not real life. Probably not going to be the most realistic depiction yeah. of it. But at the same time, um, when you don't have many stories of sex workers told to the mainstream that are accessible by the masses, you kind of want them to get it right when those stories are put out there. Yeah. So I guess a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, Ellis and I don't have a particularly, you know, intricate understanding or knowledge of how the sex work industry works. Um, that's something that we are aiming to improve. Like something mm-hmm. that we've chatted about is getting um, in touch with some sex workers to uh, talk on this podcast. Um, maybe in a taboo Tuesday where we like up, yeah. we destigmatize the wonderful world of sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, we don't want to do a disservice to this industry and to people who work in it by um, just slandering it with our misinformation so we have tried to come to this episode with a fair bit of research so that we do understand at least to some degree the the industry and the professionals who we are trying to represent exactly and and i mean if if your only uh vision of the sex worker industry is by watching films like pretty woman you might have a very uh, flawed view on the realities of mm. what that industry is like. And we're going back and we've been going back and forth about our discussion on this film mm. because we feel that in some ways uh, Pretty Woman uh, does, does uh, take steps to destigmatize yeah. sex work because it puts a very personable face. On the mm. industry uh, with with Julia Roberts' character Vivian, um, but in some ways it really over glamorizes the reality of the situation. Yeah. While also contrasting some very uh, real moments mm. uh, that that occur throughout the film. Yeah. Uh, it it kind of it kind of goes back and forth and tries to have its cake and eat it too. <laughs> And whether it does it successfully is still kind of up for debate. Yeah. So I just want to make very clear from the outset that, like, sex work is a feminist issue, you know? Like, for for a couple of reasons. Predominantly the fact that the majority of sex workers are women and non-men. Um, and also the fact that by virtue of the nature of the work, um, women who are involved in sex work are more vulnerable to sexual assault and violence against women. Um, but also just the fact that everyone is entitled to their sexuality and everyone, if they want to access sex work services, should be able to do that. Like, it's a, it's a necessary industry and it's a necessary profession. And, you know, as long as this profession exists, as I assume it always will, um, the people that are doing it and are employed in this sector should 
feel empowered and should be able to feel safe and and confident and um, be able to fulfill their job without having a stigma attached to it. Yeah, and and also when when it gets to the point where where people who uh, very tragically experience sexual assault in their line of work Mm. are afraid to go to the authorities mm-hmm. for fear that they will be criminalized yeah. instead of the people that assaulted them it's imp- it's really important that we that we protect yeah these people yeah um so we are uh, recording from south australia which is a like separate state and jurisdiction within australia if you're not familiar with australian geography it's and in the politics south. so sex work is um state-based in australia the um well criminal law is state-based mm-hmm. in australia and within Australia, there is a push to decriminalise sex work because even though a couple of states and territories have uh, decriminalised it to some extent, um, South Australia has not yet. It is still in our criminal code. And the most recent push to do that was in November last year, November 2019. So it's it's an ongoing and quite um, current uh, political issue in our state. Mm-hmm. And one of the points made by our Premier... Um, who, which is like the, the head of our government in our state, um, when he advocated and, and voted for the decriminalisation of sex work, he said that, um, you know, one of the biggest issues is that women who are in this line of work and do get assaulted um, don't feel that they have the capacity to report it because they were engaging in a quote-unquote criminal activity uh, when they were doing so. So, um, yeah, the... The criminalisation and the decriminalisation of sex work is and should be um, a feminist issue because it criminalising sex work makes sex workers more vulnerable. Mm. With all that said, Pretty Woman, mm. uh, for those of you who don't know, is about uh, Richard Gere. He is like a, a stockbroker, millionaire, super hunk, eligible bachelor. <laughs> His name is Edward. His name's Edward. In this film. And <laughs> we want to particularly like distinguish between the actors and their character names in this one, particularly when like there are a few, like Jason Alexander, great actor. Um, His character not so great. No, uh, but uh, so uh, so Edward is um, from New York in Hollywood for business, uh, gets lost and approaches uh, a s- sex worker on the street who's Julia Roberts, her mm-hmm. name's Vivian, mm-hmm. and he's like, can you give me directions back to my hotel? And through... Opportunism. Yep. She, on her part. She says... And entrepreneurial skills. Yeah, she's like, I will do it for 20 bucks. And he's like, all right, that seems fine. And that escalates to him uh, inviting her uh, to his hotel room to utilise her services as a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Which then leads to him going, can I hire you to be my, essentially, girlfriend for mm. a week. Uh, to make business appearances, go to dinner, and I'll hit you up and, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pay all your expenses and everything. You just, while I'm here, you just be my kind of live-in girlfriend. Mm. And she's like, yes. This is a great business opportunity. Good business opportunity. Yeah, because we see at the start of the movie, like, she is in a fair bit of debt. Yeah, there's a bit and... of poverty. Like, her roommate is in a bit of debt and is like being pressured by this not very nice pimp Carlos oh we do not like Carlos no uh, but so she, she uh, so Vivian ends up uh, as his kind of like live-in girlfriend for the week and of course goes on like 
shopping sprees and becomes quite friendly with the hotel manager and goes out to some dinners and, and polo games and, opera. and the opera. And, uh, and the story is essentially about them kind of falling in love and learning from each other yeah. in a very Hollywood rom-com kind of way. Mm. And, and spoiler alert, they end up together. Who saw I mean, that coming? the movie came out 30 years ago. If you didn't know that by now, <laughs> then you weren't looking for the answer. I want to... I'm going to be an advocate momentarily for the position that this movie is an over-glamorization of what is quite a dangerous line of work. Mm-hmm. Like, it shouldn't be. Uh, and there have been, I think, like good pushes and good advances to to make it safer for sex workers in the last 30 years since this movie came out. Um, but even still, it feels like a real glamorization of... Um, it, it seems to really gloss over the, the dangerous and negative aspects yeah, of like, this industry. Like in, in Vivian's first scene, they kind of... She walks past... Uh, another prostitute who's been killed mm. and put in a dumpster yeah. and and her friend just kind of blows it off going oh well she was a crackhead mm. and and mm-hmm. that and they kind of like gloss over it and just kind of move on yeah and it's like oh can we have a little bit more reverence for yeah. the issue of of, <laughs> for the... of sex workers being k- killed yeah like that's it's... Let's not gloss over that and just like write that off and be like oh on with the happy rom-com then yeah uh, there are quite a few moments all the way through that kind of brush off the realities of what it would mm. be like to work as a sex worker. And I find that interesting because apparently the original version of the script was a more realistic look mm. and depiction of what that industry would be like. Yeah. Uh, and then they decided to to rom-com it mm-hmm. in the, in the yeah. end. Yeah. Uh, so th- th- there are quite a lot of moments that, that kind of glamorize the industry. I also think that the fact that the person who is engaging the sex worker being this character Edward playing by, played by Richard Gere um, I think is probably quite atypical of someone who would engage a sex worker. Like, he is like surprisingly respectful. And oh, I hate, so respectful. I hate how surprised I was mm. at at that depiction. Like he he, he never kind of pressures her he's very like she sets some boundaries early on she's like i don't kiss on the lips and he's like that is totally cool and at no point does he does he push that or pressure that or anything like Mm. that he's very like respectful and also the fact he he kind of constantly refers to it as like i'm hiring you as my employee for the week yeah yeah which like in in a romantic sense sounds really oh like whatever but Actually, no, he is engaging her as, as a businesswoman mm. and treating her as such. And it's, yeah. it's so, it was so odd. And he's got so much respect mm. for her when, especially in 1990, yeah. um, I would imagine that a lot of like public discourse and just kind of like the, the stigma around sex work would have been even more pronounced than it is now because, you know, now in 2020 it still exists. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the fact that he was so respectful of her and her profession um, and, you know, it, it you don't see a lot of the actual sex. Um, like, you see the foreplay and then he's having a shower. Um, <laughs> that's the next cut. Camera cut to yeah. curtains kind of thing. But 
every just about every like physical engagement between the two of them like seems very like affectionate and consensual and respectful yeah and as as much as that is wonderful and like we should have depictions of really re- respectful relationships between um well, between sexual partners in general, but also between um, sex per- sex workers and the people that engage them, I don't think on the whole that that is a particularly accurate depiction of the people whom sex workers would encounter in their line of work. They, the movie does address it with the character of Phil, who is uh, Edward's lawyer and played by Jason Alexander, mm. who, upon discovering that Vivian is... Uh, is a sex worker immediately his attitude towards her changes he oh, starts yeah. being very progressive and creepy and even says not like progressive oh possessive sorry <laughs> he's not progressive. he's not progressive um very very creepy he says something like uh as soon as you've finished your work with edward maybe i can take you for a spin mm, kind of ew. thing oh literal objectification yeah you're a car now <laughs> <laughs> and um Trigger warning, we're going to talk about um, sexual assault for a moment. Skip this bit with the timestamp mm-hmm. in the description if you don't want to hear it. At the end of the film, uh, Phil uh, tries to sexually assault mm. her in a very... Kind of kind of claiming, it's like, well, you're a prostitute. Yeah, so you, I'm entitled to you. Yeah, it doesn't count, kind of. like. Yeah. You, and, oh, and it's re- yeah. it's really gross. It's and really like, dehumanizing. Re- but again, kind of like highlights some of the potential reality that goes on in this in that industry and, mm-hmm. and some of the dangers that yeah. the, the people employed in that industry face. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so the movie kind of like takes strides to show other like yeah. you know a rounded aspect of it but also kind of like like I said it's trying to have its cake and eat it too you want <laughs> you want to believe that Julia Roberts is this kind of like glamorous wonderful sophisticated face of the sex industry yeah and that all men she interacts like all other men that she interacts with in the film uh, like Edward and the the manager of the hotel they're Barney re- Barney are oh, they're re- like they're really um, respectful to her that like they get along really really well and then you have Phil who is the kind of the gross yeah um, like the face of the stigma yeah yeah and so it kind of like tries to to cover all aspects and I'm just not sure if it presents them all in a way that feels real yeah like I suppose on on one hand it's nice to have like the aspirational like the Richard Gear character is what you would aspire to have how you'd aspire to have everyone treat sex workers when they were engaging them like the the respect the the consent the um the lack of objectification you know Mm. um but then on the other hand you've got the um the reality of that stigma personified in Phil, but I just I'm wondering whether the weighting is accurate (laughs) whether whether by giving too much weighting to the fact that Waiting with an EI is what I mean. Um, giving too much weight to the fact that the Julia Roberts Richard Gere relationship takes up like ninety percent of the, the movie mm-hmm. is what people take away from it. They're they're going to be like, oh, if um, if I become a sex worker, this is the kind of relationship that I'm going to have with all of my clients. Mm, I'm going to meet a millionaire and he's going to fall in love with me and. 
Pay and, for all my new outfits and whisk me away and... And I'm going to live in a penthouse and get paid $3,000 for it. Yeah. And, like, that's not to say that that isn't what we should aspire to in the sex industry. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just think that a more realistic depiction is is necessary so that we're able to then overcome the stigma and work towards the aspirational client sex worker relationship but then i I, like i i asked the question like is this the movie for that like it's obvious they Mm. wanted to make a a a rom-com with all the romantic comedy stylings is there a point where you just have to go well it's a rom-com like Mm. you know there's only so much yeah that you can do in that genre there's only so many like important ideas yeah. or concepts that you can convey while still adhering to to the kind of film that it so clearly is. Yeah, like being being genre appropriate, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And I suppose if you're watching a rom-com, you sort of go, I'm going to take this with a grain of salt. This is not a realistic portrayal of my everyday <laughs> life. But then again, when it's one of the only mainstream portrayals of sex work, maybe we need to hold it to a higher standard. Mm. Let's talk about Vivian, the character, because I think that she's an absolute boss babe. (laughs) She, one of the things that struck me about this film is how much self-worth Vivian had. Like, at no point does she put herself down because of what she does. Absolutely, like, yeah. I, mean, I, I, th- I think that there are moments where she's like, well, I, you know, I, I never aspired to become a sex worker. Um, but that's the position that she has found herself in. And she's like, I know my worth. Mm. I know what I'm going to, what kind of behavior I'm going to accept from yep. my potential clients. Uh-huh. I am not going to wave on this. Uh, she sets her own, her boundaries and her, you know, the ground rules for engaging her services and she, like, the entire way through, she, she doesn't let anybody put her down mm. uh, because of what she does. I think that sort of the begins, like, the moment she even first interacts with Edward and she, like, gets in the car and he is driving a manual or stick shift and can't, is really bad at <laughs> it, which I find really ironic because the actor's name is Richard Gear. And he's not good at the gears. Oh, man. Oh, no. I thought I made the bad jokes uh, on the podcast. Roll reversal to the <laughs> um, But basically, like, from immediately, um, she's like, here's what I charge. Here you go. Up front. Like, she's very in control of the money. She's mm-hmm. She even, like, takes over driving the car because he can't do it and he's not good <laughs> at it. Like, she is very much in control, it would seem, Mm -hmm. and, like, feels confident asserting herself in that regard very early on. And I think that that continues throughout, like, the fact that he's really awkward when he first takes her up to the hotel room and she's like, well, you could start by paying me. (laughs) Um, She's got, like, she knows her worth literally and metaphorically Mm -hmm. and um, she is very assertive in that regard. And she kind of carries that through every aspect of her life. Like, there's the moment where she walks into the store, she's trying to buy the new clothes, and she walks into the store, and she is treated horribly by the the saleswoman, only to then kind of come back later and, like, stand up for herself 
uh, by saying, it's like, do you work on commission? Because you made a big mistake. Yes. Like, I was just... The best comeuppance. So the good. The best comeuppance. And, <laughs> like, she, she is so... Um, she doesn't take anybody's shit. No. And it's really, really nice to see her claim her power and her strength. Yeah. Uh, and even though there is this huge power disparity oh, yeah. between mm-hmm. herself and Edward, uh, Vivian never kind of lets never never lets him like own her. Yeah, she's always in control. And I think that is so epitomized by the fact that in the very final scene, where he's decided that screw it, he's going to be with her. Um, and he does. He goes through the whole romantic gesture that she has explained that she wanted to him. Like she wants the fairy tale, mm-hmm. um, and he like overcomes his fear of heights and and climbs the fire escape to be with her. And it's very Hollywood and very corny. Very cute. Um, but he asks her about like, oh, what happens after the prince rescues the princess? And she goes, she rescues him right back. Just ah, uh. damn. Like, that's a good. That's like, a good way to end that. Solid <laughs> feminist moment to end on. Like I feel like even though there is that class disparity and there is the the obvious power imbalance of mm-hmm. be, the like employer employee situation, um, I think that because she stands her ground and is a very assertive and not submissive personality, um, some of that power imbalance is evened out a little bit and you kind of get the sense that going forward in their relationship there's going to be a lot of mutual respect and there's going to be a lot of um yeah a more even power split between the two of them i think the film also has quite a few things to say about um class and the fact that like vivian demonstrates regularly that she has so much uh so much more potential than people would suspect Mm. of somebody who is uh, a a sex worker on Hollywood Boulevard like um, like she develops uh, an appreciation for opera that she'd never been exposed to before and she uh, she she makes a couple of appearances at some business gatherings uh, that Edward takes her to and she is like well liked by all the people yeah. that she meets and she makes a very good impression and it it's kind of saying that the only thing that's standing in her way are the the opportunities that she is not given yeah by society and by her class and by her her, her yeah and the stigma yeah. around her profession as stigma. well because the second that people like Phil the sleazy lawyer mm-hmm. find out that she is a sex worker they immediately treat her differently yeah immediately switches yeah um, I think the other thing that I really appreciate about the Edward Vivian situation is the fact that they spend this week together and he becomes a better person because of her yeah like the fact that uh, earlier on he kind of explains how he um, like tears down companies and um, like sells their parts for money um, like you know she uses the analogy like a um, you're, you sell Somebody... a stolen car for parts yeah and by the end of it he's realized no that's an unethical thing to do I don't like tearing things down I want to build things up I want to you know take this company that I was going to tear apart and I want to actually help them to to fix it and build something and make something and um, actually leave a stamp on the world and it's very clear 
and like Phil, it, the sleazy lawyer, is obsessed with this idea that like she is changing him. Mm-hmm. In his eyes, it's not for the better, but it's very clear that he is becoming a better person and wanting to live his life more ethically because of her influence. Yeah, because she questions what he does, he does and it. how he makes his money, and um, the relationship with his dad on that as well. Mm. So I really like the fact that even though there is this power disparity and class disparity and like severe um, difference in the opportunities that they've had that she can be such a positive role model on him she's from an ethical standpoint. She's a huge influence on yeah. him. And yeah, and yeah the, the movie kind of like leaves leaves it open-ended to that you can foresee both of them go, growing mm. together and, and being yeah. really good influences on each other. And I think you can only learn from and care about the opinion of somebody that you greatly respect if you're going to change your life that much for somebody i think that's indicative of the respectful dynamic between them as well yeah let's uh let's talk about male gaze ah uh it's something that we've brought up uh before on the podcast but essentially male gaze is uh when the camera or the way that the film is shot is for the intended purpose of the consumption of stereotypically uh, cis straight men. Yeah. And so therefore the way that things are framed or the way that actresses are shot uh, is to catch their attention. Yeah. It's usually in reference to kind of sexualized imagery. Yeah. And this film kind of opens with a banger of sexualized <laughs> imagery um my literally my first note when what re-watching this film was male gaze hello no. that is the first thing i wrote <laughs> on my and notes I, it, it opened the, the introduction to vivian is uh we don't see her head for no, no. for probably the first couple of minutes but we'd certainly see her uh lingerie oh yeah and her her long legs and her crotch yep and her cleavage. Yep, a lot of that. Lots of lace. Lots of lots of dressing suggestive up. Suggestive shots. And this is before. This is our first impression yeah. of her. And like that, immediately put alarm bells in my head of like, oh no, this is a film about a prostitute. This is how we are introduced to the prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. This is a. <laughs> Big, um, big old cross on the is this a feminist work <laughs> meter. Then, however, uh, when we get to probably the next kind of sexually explicit moment of the film, which is when uh, Vivian and Edward uh, go to have sex for the first time, mm. it is shot very differently. Like, I mean, uh, Vivian is very much in the kind of forefront of the image, but it's not focusing no. on her parts. It's Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Focusing on her whole and yeah. how she and Edward are responding to each other yeah, yeah. and... It was quite tasteful yeah. <laughs> in a way that those opening moments weren't. Yeah, which which co- uh, caused us to kind of debate: like, is was it was the film utilizing male gaze at the beginning to set up an expectation mm. to subvert it later, or uh, you had a theory? <laughs> I I have two theories. So I think that in the first theory, I am giving the director probably more credit than is warranted (laughs) in my first theory i go okay are we showing her in this very um hyper sexualized way in this first shot to kind of be set up the expectation of like all right this is indicative of the way the world views her because of her profession Mm -hmm. um this is the the stigma and the hyper sexualization that she lives with because of the work she does and then when you see her um, the f- in the first intimate scene with Edward, the fact that it's not focused on that is indicative of the fact that he isn't over-sexualizing her mm-hmm. and he's, like, seeing her as a whole person and we see her as a whole person in the shot and, like, taking, you know, the, the emotion and the intent just as much as we take in her, her physicality. Mm-hmm. So, like, is is there the purposeful contrast between the two in the first shot to go, this is how the world sees her, in that other shot, this is how he sees her? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I feel like there's an argument for that. Again, think that we're maybe giving the director a little bit too much credit <laughs> in that regard. Um, my other theory is that the opening shot was just for all the straight guys that came to see this rom-com with their girlfriends to keep them interested, to be like, oh, yeah, I think there'll be something in this for me <laughs> in the first five minutes of the film. And to be perfectly honest with you, I tend to favour my latter theory. I, I think I favoured the former because I don't think the male gaze is utilised in that way again in the film. Mm. Like there That's are, true. there are lo- like there, there was there was a moment where there's, there's the montage of Julia Roberts getting a whole bunch of new outfits, mm. and there was a moment where she picked up some lingerie. And your response when we watched it was, oh, they're going to show us all the different lingerie that she's going to wear. And they didn't. And they didn't. And I was pleasantly surprised. And the the rest of the montage was quite, like, respectful. And any other moment where it's kind of, like, showcasing Vivian in, in a glamorous outfit wasn't really sexualized. Mm. It was... Um, it was kind of more about like you know her character growth or like the the change that society has seen in her yeah. kind of thing. It was more reflective of of things that are indicative of her personality mm-hmm. than her raw sexuality and yes. physicality. Yeah, and I and I which which makes me believe that that I think it was very deliberate and um and used to to kind of yeah. showcase the difference. Or even that when they were shooting, like if they shot chronologically in the first scene, they kind of didn't, hadn't set a tone yet Maybe. and hadn't kind of figured out what tone the movie was going to take. And then they realized that it was so much more about her and her personality than her physicality and 
later on the shots tended to mm-hmm. skew from that, maybe. Potentially. Yeah. But then I feel like you could have made that more consistent in editing. Yeah, which, which, which again makes me think that, that that opening sequence is very deliberately there. Mm. Um, it's just, just a case of why. Yeah. Like why do, is it to deliberately subvert our expectations or is it just to, to make all the men in the audience sit up and take notice? Mm. And um, don't not feel so uh, frustrated that they are, physical, <laughs> are there with their girlfriends. Just go enjoy the movie. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. It's a good movie. <laughs> it was a good movie. It's <laughs> fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's funny. Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, they're very charming. Yeah. Just... <laughs> mm. um, something else that I had a visceral reaction to mm-hmm. was this scene in the bath where um, Julia Roberts is bathing Richard Gere mm-hmm. in the, like... Not in a submissive way. Like, it's a, it's a very, like, tender moment. It's very, they're, they're, and they're talking about his parents. Yeah. And his therapy. And his it, therapy. It normalizes therapy. Ticks all around. 1990, look out. Yes. Um, but the, the shot opens, like, on his nipple. <laughs> and I had a moment where, for a hot second, I was like, um, did they just open a shot on Julia Roberts' nipple? <laughs> um, because... That would be cool, uh, but they did not. Um, and I think it just—it was a moment where I was like, "Why is it okay that we are seeing his nipple and not hers?" Like, it's really obvious that that is why he is the one, like, on top of her. Like, she's kind of like holding him from behind. Mm-hmm. It's so that his torso is covering her naked chest. Mm-hmm. But to be perfectly honest with you, like, I—I am not especially well-versed in the rhetoric around free the nip. Um, but, like, holy heck, there, there is so... F- there's no difference between men and women's nipples. It's, it's just so arbitrary. stupid that men's nipples are so acceptable in this, I want to say, like, PG, maybe M at a stretch rated <laughs> film. But if hers had been on there, it'd be like, oh, it's R-rated now. It's explicit. It's pornographic. Ah! Like, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, just it's so arbitrary. Exactly, that's so arbitrary. But yeah, it just—it was a moment for me where I was like, ah, oh, if we can see men's nipples, can we just see women's, please? Like, there's nothing inherently sexual mm-hmm. about women's nipples. Mm-hmm. Get over it. It's just—they're not explicit. Let's normalize that, please. Hashtag free the name. Let's talk about. Uh, other kinds of representation in this yeah. movie. Um, there isn't much. End of discussion. <laughs> um, Full stop. Uh, one, one of the, the main characters, the, the actor who portrays uh, Barney, the, the manager of the hotel, uh, he's, he's a, a man of Puerto Rican descent. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, just like, I love that actor. Oh, What's his name? Hector? Uh, Hector. Um, Hector. Hector Elizondo. Oh, I love him. He's also, incidentally, in Princess Diaries as the driver. Also a blessing in that. Pretty sure he plays exactly the same character. I don't care. Doesn't matter. I love him. He's great. Aside from him, uh, all the major players in the film are white. uh, And and they're all seemingly um, heterosexuals, cisgendered, able-bodied. It's... 
Oh, it's so and 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 it's and they're all uh, aside from Vivian and her friend Kit. They're all people of immense, immense privilege. Yeah, like. And I suppose yeah. that's the the privilege side of things. At least is important because it's representative of these like two different worlds that they come from. Yeah, and like from a strictly like I, I know that we have been critical of people taking a very strictly literal view of representation before but from a strictly literal point of view it does make sense that the the hyper wealthy and the the exceedingly affluent in like california in the 90s were like predominantly white Mm -hmm. but i think it's an issue when you're also portraying all of the sex workers as cis white women Mm -hmm. um so we did a little bit of research about this. Um, obviously, the film is set in the US, but in Australia, which is where we're recording from, um, even those statistics are, um, again, hard to uh, get exact numbers on um, because of the nature of sex work. Um, we found that in Australia, at least, only about a quarter of sex workers are actually Australian-born, and the vast, vast majority... Um, of sex workers are Asian-born, um, so many of whom are of Chinese descent, many of whom are of Thai descent as mm-hmm. well. So um, sex work, at least in Australia, is really not dominated by white women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I say women broadly to mean women and non-men uh, and gender-diverse people. Uh, and again, we found in the US that... Um, while it's harder to find exact statistics about the demographics of sex workers, um, many sex workers are people of colour, and especially um, black and transgender uh, sex workers are those who are most vulnerable, especially yeah. uh, in this industry that already puts its workers in very vulnerable situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to whitewash it is a bit of a disservice to yeah. to the industry and especially to the women of colour who are the predominant um, people who are professional in that industry. Yeah. It's... It's very... Very cookie-cutter. Very... Yeah. Hollywood especially when... In the 90s. <laughs> like, dear God, I love Julia Roberts, but she is literally the picture of, like ideal of feminine beauty isn't she uh, like certainly at the time yeah. certainly because of this movie yeah she was kind of catapulted into stardom and seen as the it girl yeah and yeah. like and also that yeah. freaking dress that she wears at the start with the with the hip cutouts and the blue <laughs> thing at the bottom and that hoop I, i'm just staring at it going who looks good in that <laughs> like who other than julia roberts would put that on and go yes this is an attractive thing to wear. I, I just cannot imagine how stupid that would look on my body and anyone else's body that wasn't, like, a size zero. And apparently in the movie she is a size six. That's what the, the dressmaker says. I'm sceptical. I'm also sceptical. Mm. <laughs> like, American sizing. Like, she'd be an Australian six, but an American six is an Australian ten. Jeez, really? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I think it... Can sizing just be universal? <laughs> Please, like, that's something that really annoys me just in general. Like, I, I struggle to find clothes that are the right size because sizing doesn't mean anything. 
Like what's and you're a, a man. And I'm a man. And I can only imagine how much more frustrating it would be for women and, and, and non-men trying to find clothes that, that have like a consistent size. And also all of my clothes have pockets. <laughs> like There's a whole episode in that, oh. Ellis. Um, but I guess going back to the representation side of things, I think that it's just another example of the fact that the sex work and the sex industry is so not accurately depicted in this yeah. because of the fact that all of the... Off the top of my head, I think we only actually interact with three sex workers, being Vivian, Kit, and the woman that they kick off of their parts of the the Hollywood star war. Yeah, I, th- I think... It- I think anybody else is very kind of incidental, yeah. if that. Yeah, uh, uh, and but, also the um, we don't actually see her, but the woman at the start who was a quote unquote crackhead who was found dead. Yeah, um, but we we don't see her to know what race she is. Um, but yeah, I think that when it's an industry that is particularly we know is dominated by women of color, and uh, we know that women of colour are most vulnerable in this industry, it just seems like a bit of a dick move to be like, but here are the white women <laughs> who get to go home with Richard Gere and, and get paid $3,000 to live in his apartment for a week. It's like, sex work! <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> not that, you know, not that I don't think we should celebrate sex work, but let's not celebrize, but, celebrate it in an over-glamorised way is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Well, can, can I just point out, like, $3,000 for a week's work? Like, that's a good rate. Mm. And in the 90s as in well. In the 90s, 90s as well. Yeah, that's... 1990. <laughs> like, yeah. $3,000 of 1990s money is yeah. like, I don't know, a million dollars now. I don't know. Inflation. How, I don't know I how right? inflation works. Um, we know economics here. For exactly. Everything. But I'm saying, like, like, you hear those numbers, and you're just like, am I in the wrong industry? I mean, we're in the arts. Yes, we're in the wrong <laughs> industry, but... <laughs> Oh, yeah, let's not get into that. It's a sore topic right now. <laughs> uh, does pretty women, woman, woman, just pretty woman, uh, pass the Bechtel test? Yes. How did you know that's what I was going to say? <laughs> well, because A, you're my best friend and I'm psychic, and B, because it's written in our notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, does pretty woman pass the Bechtel test? I think it does. Um, I think there are a couple of conversations with Kit and Vivian at the start, both of whom have names, Mm -hmm. uh, where they talk about the rent, where they talk with the other woman about getting off their strip Mm -hmm. of the star walk. They do do a lot of talking about work without it being about a specific man that they're working with or anything like that. So, you know, there are a couple couple of conversations at the beginning, but I think after that... um, Vivian spends all her time with other men, yeah. and any w- women that she does encounter aren't named. Like she, yeah. she interacts with the the shopkeeper. They have like a a, a conversation about, uh, you know, that Vivian isn't doesn't look classy enough to shop yes. at this establishment. Uh, but they don't have names. There's also so. the interaction where the woman at the opera asks her whether she's enjoying the opera. But she doesn't have a name, I don't think. No. Oh, there is a moment at the polo game where Vivian gets introduced to a couple of people and they have like a two-sentence conversation. But the two-sentence conversation is about Richard Gere. 
Oh, it is. They're like, it? oh, he's an eligible bachelor. However, did you Snap snag him, him? Oh, and she says, oh, I'm not marrying him. I'm not after him for money. I'm just using him for sex. And then walks Fantastic off. Fantastic one-liner. Oh, really They're, good. Like, it's very well written for the Vivian character. She gets so many zingers. Yes, she's real good. Yeah, the, like, my favorite zinger is the, like, she saves him back about the prince-princess dealio. Yeah. Um, there's also the one-liner where he goes, I've never treated you like a prostitute. And she goes... You just did. Like, oh, <laughs> yes. what, a, what a banger of a line. And again, all of it shows her worth, shows her like intelligence and her wittiness. Yeah. It's just, oh, she, she's great. Yeah. And another thing that we didn't talk about when we were discussing their dynamic, but um, the fact that as soon as Phil, Jason Alexander, the lawyer, um, starts treating her differently because he finds out that she's a sex worker, um, she then confronts Edward about that, going, how dare you tell him about that because he started treating me differently and I just feel like you've been, you know, having a chuckle with your mates about the fact that I'm a hooker. Mm. Um, Side note, I'm trying to use the word sex worker because I think we've read that that is the preferred term amongst people in the industry. I'd use hooker there because I think that that's the word that she uses to describe herself in that scene. But I think that's it's like loaded with mm. stigma, and I think she uses it kind of in a loaded way in that regard. Yeah, th- that's also the way that Phil refers to her. Yeah, uh, and in that case, it's very much a weaponized word. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's this whole like fight between them where she feels that her boundaries have been disrespected by him going and just telling his friends about what her profession is and Mm -hmm. she is rightly angry about that and like almost leaves the engagement yeah she she just she just she says i want out Uh, and and richard gear pays her out essentially and then she leaves the money and just leaves because she's like i am too offended and i i hold my own self-worth so important that i'm not i'm not going to acknowledge this and it's only when he Genuinely, genuinely apologize. Yeah. Yeah. That that she um comes back and, and mm. continues the engagement. Yes. Self worth Yes, It's so good. Yeah. And I mean I I would wish that level of empowerment on anyone who engages in the sex work industry. Yeah. Cause you know, I'd imagine that it's a tough gig. Yeah. But also a necessary one because the sex work industry exists because People want to buy sex. Yeah. <laughs> there, is, like, there is demand for it. Therefore, there is supply a, must be... There is a high demand. And there's always mm. going to be a demand for it. So unless you decriminalize it, you're putting vulnerable women in a situation where they appeal to the demand and it's, it's economics. It's always going to be there, <laughs> but you're making them vulnerable by not making it legal. Putting them in needless danger. Yeah. Like. And I've heard, admittedly, anecdotally, I don't have anything to back this up, <laughs> I'm going to fact check myself later, but I am of the understanding that in a Northern European country, which I think was Sweden, Mm -hmm. um, they flipped the criminality of sex work to be on the person who was seeking it out rather than the sex worker. So it like sex work was criminalized, but the person who was the criminal was the person engaging the sex worker. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Like, take that, patriarchy. Yeah. Suck it. 
(laughs) (laughs) One last thing that I kind of am interested in is the fact that the movie is called Pretty Woman. Mm -hmm. And I wonder whether in calling it that, it kind of does the same thing as the initial... Um, shot of her in her underwear where we don't see her face Mm -hmm. where it sets up an expectation to subvert it. So the expectation being that it's about this woman who is attractive. And then you find out that she is more than that. Yeah. She's a person with a personality. Wow. I know. Isn't that shocking? What? How novel. (laughs) No, it's a film. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gracious, Ellis Dolan. Uh, now, I know that uh, apparently the title of the film came from the Roy Orbison song, right. Pretty Woman, um, who's walking down the street. We're not uh, doing this again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I wonder if, if, if that was kind of the main impetus for it. Right, because um, it's the theme song of the movie. Yeah, it's, it's used a couple of times throughout it. Uh, but again, maybe it is kind of setting up that, that expectation to yeah. subvert. I'm not... I'm not convinced either way again it's like like or do they just cast julia roberts and go well this is appropriate <laughs> otherwise it was going to be Richard. average looking woman <laughs> not fulfilling societal expectations average looking, looking woman. woman just living your best life not caring about what you look like average looking mm. woman i've written a song that's great i, I love think that it'll song. be a hit <laughs> Yeah, I guess interesting. Uh, if anybody out there uh, worked on Pretty Woman and, <laughs> and know the answer to, to why specifically that title was used and whether it was used in a subverting of expectations manner, hit us up. While you're at it, let us know about that opening shot. Yeah. Whether our theories are right about that. Yeah, let us I know. think we're really overestimating the reach of our podcast, Ellis, that anyone that worked on Pretty Woman is going to listen to it. I'm just being optimistic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hi, Julia. Hi, Richard. Hi, love your work. Yeah. Really love your work on this. Oh, hi, Hector. <laughs> Ellis, do we rate or ruin Pretty Woman? Uh, I'm so on the fence. I'm so on the fence. Uh, I think. Okay, let's let's do a pros and cons list. Okay. Here are the things that are pros about it. Vivian is an incredibly strong female lead. Yeah. Knows her worth. Um, is not afraid to set boundaries. Uh, knows how she wants to be treated and will not stand for being treated in a disrespectful way. Richard, uh, not Richard. Oh yeah, Richard Gere playing the role of Edward mm-hmm. uh, is very respectful yeah. to her at all times. Very, very good showcase of positive masculinity yeah. there. And the characters who exhibit the most toxic uh, traits—that is, Phil—are very swiftly and and uh, punished. Yeah, and are very much framed as the bad guys. Yes, like you go through the whole, whole film being like, Phil's a dick. And then, and then you get to the end of the film and you go, Phil's a dick. Yeah, Phil's, Phil's a dick. And Richard Gere, like, cuts ties with him and goes, Phil, you're out of my life. How dare you be, A, so disrespectful to Julia <laughs> Roberts and B, just a manipulative dick in my business life as well. Yeah. Phil, get out of here. Just cu- cuts ties and it's it's not like an umming eyeing. It's like an immediate, you yeah. are gone. Yeah, bye, Phil. See uh, ya. And it also kind of like... Um, in some ways, attempts to destigmatize the uh, portrayal of sex workers. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, two of the three sex workers that we we meet are very 
friendly they're very amicable they they both have like this this potential mm. um to to achieve and better themselves yeah that being said i don't think you need to be friendly and or amicable and or have aspirations beyond sex work to deserve respect oh like definitely mm. but but i feel like having having a, a positive represent like like putting a positive face Mm. on the sex work industry yeah is that good but also that face is racially not indicative of the industry yeah um and i think oversimplifies it and i think glosses over some of the really harmful dangerous parts of this industry that need to be addressed also the fact that all the important female characters in this film are sex workers. Mm. And there is like an overwhelming majority of women portrayed in film and television being sex workers. Like you look at like like changing genres for a second, like you look at cop dramas or or detective serialization or anything like that. Yeah. Like a huge number of the female characters in that are sex workers, gangster films. Mm-hmm. All the the women are are their Martin Scorsese's mother and a string of of sex workers. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, for like there's just an I mean I, I mean that, that that that's a broader picture kind of like Hollywood yeah. only writes particular roles for women and we know that the majority of sex workers are women yeah be it cis or transgender mm-hmm. women um, uh, it, yeah it, it just so it just so happens that vivian is a really strong female lead um but that doesn't change the fact that there are only so many roles that hollywood deems women can play and one of those is the sex worker mm. Can I just firmly sit on the fence about this film? <laughs> it's quite comfy on the fence. Yeah. Um, um, maybe we weigh in with our audience on this one. Yeah. Because we haven't reached a firm conclusion. Like, I I just can't... I, I don't... Even for all its merits, I don't think I can look past the fact that... Yeah, I just wonder whether it, in real life, has negative repercussions for people who are considering going into the sex industry, have it paint this movie paints a really positive image of it um, and people go in with expectations that are unrealistic and whether that actually has real-world consequences for them not stealing themselves to the reality of this industry. And I guess additionally it's concerning because if this is the representation in mainstream media of sex work and, say, like a legislator or someone Mm. in a position of political influence were to watch it, you know that it doesn't really have a call to action to be like, "Wow, this industry needs reform." You look at it and you go, "Ah, Julia Roberts had it all right. I don't need to create laws She's that protect okay. sex workers." Granted, if you're a legislator and your main source of knowledge um, about the sex work industry is pretty woman, concerning. <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, there are some legislators that don't do their research, so you just got to cover your bases. That'd be like getting all of your knowledge from, I don't know, Fox News or something like that. Like, who in a position of political power would spend mm. all their time getting getting information from that kind of a yeah, source? Yeah, or, or like just ignoring their experts and firing them. What what leader of who? a developed country would do that? Who would do that? Thankfully, there's nobody like that in the uh, world. 
US listeners, please get out and vote in November. Oh, God. Uh, anyway. The movie does go out of a way to, to, to mention, like, fairy tale endings mm. a lot. And also, I guess Kit does say at one point, like, who does this happen to? The, like, Cinderella she, is the... Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to firmly sit on the fence. I'm going to be a fence sitter. <laughs> I, I'm going to join you on the fence. It, like, like the, the, the pros are good, but the cons are heavy. Mm. And it, it's just... I think, yeah... I, I think I think the film itself is delightful. I think the film's good. It's it's great costumes. Great costumes. Oof. Costume budget, yes. Really good scripts. Uh, good soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Acting, really fantastic. Great. Ticks all around. But uh, but in terms of like a feminist work, it's just uh, yeah yeah. The fence is real comfy. The fence is real comfy. Weigh in, listeners. We'd like to know what you think. First of all, thank you very much to the listeners who suggested Pretty Women. Yeah, uh, it's re- it's it's really nice thank to kind of you know get your suggestions and and take that on board. This is a good one to dissect. I had fun. Yeah, if you would like to uh, ensure that your uh, that an episode you suggest uh, gets made, uh, check out our patron uh, Patreon and become a patron. Um, because if you uh, pledge ten dollars or more per month, you get to pick an episode. Yeah. It's it's great. We got it. We got it. So go to um, patreon.com slash feminism ruins everything pod. Yeah. Uh, and check out all the details of our, our Patreon there. Yeah. Uh, if you want to leave a comment and, you know, let us know whether you're on the fence about pretty women as well. Uh, pretty woman. Pretty one. woman. Just one. Check out our, uh, check us out on Instagram. That's at feminism ruins everything pod. Yeah. Or on our Facebook page. Uh, we are feminism ruins everything dash a feminist podcast. It's a feminist. It's, oh, I was so close. You were so close, Elias. So like the close. one time I let you do the social media <laughs> plug. <laughs> I was here like mouthing what they were yeah. like. Yeah. And, oh, yep. Yeah, you remember the pod? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Well good done. job. Well good done. job. Yep. Yeah. Forward slash. Yes. Good job. Yeah. You were, yes. you were my my uh, my water <laughs> wings there. Yeah. So on on Facebook, Ellis, I'm just gonna um, take over for you for a moment. On Facebook, we are feminism ruins everything. Dash. It's a feminist podcast. As is our catchphrase. Yeah. And if you're listening to us on, on Apple Podcasts or any platform that you can like leave a comment or a rating, please leave a comment or a rating. We would really, really nice. appreciate it. And it's always nice to hear from from our our, our listener base. And, yeah. And Thanks, fam. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. And we'll be back uh, next week with some good content. We've got a really cool guest next week. Yeah, we're really excited. So it's get excited for that. going to be great. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.